This is the River Radius, a cultural nexus of rivers, people, and boats. I am your host, Sam Carter. Welcome. We go into this little clinic, and the medic in charge of the clinic takes the bandage off of the wound, sets it down, face down onto this guy's pants that were covered in dirt. This guy's smoking a cigarette, and he looks down at the wound and shakes his head. And then he takes the bandage with the dirt all in it and sticks it back on top of this guy's wound. You know that feeling when you finally push off from the boat ramp and slide into your boat and you get a few strokes with your oars or paddle? That relief you feel because you finally have all of your gear on the boat, your shuttle is done, that joy because you are moving at the river's pace. You're probably thirsty and sweaty, and maybe a little edgy, you drink something, wipe the sweat, and just transition to river life. This episode is all about one of the steps before you push off from that boat ramp, the shuttle. What is a shuttle, maybe you ask? Quick description. When a person or group floats down a river, they will begin that trip at one place on the river, and they will have driven a vehicle to that place where they launched their river trip. Then they travel downstream by boat for a few hours or for several days, And when they get to the place where they end their river trip, they will want to load their boating gear into their vehicle and head home. So the shuttle is the action of driving your vehicle from the beginning of the river trip to the end of the river trip. The shuttle can be completed in a few ways. Either the people on the trip have a few vehicles with them and they do it themselves, or they can hire a shuttle company to do it for them. And if this is a commercial river trip, the river guiding company will typically manage the shuttle for the clients. Regardless, If a trip is private or commercial, a river shuttle seems to be an inevitable portion of a river trip. This past spring, I was talking with my friend Darby, whom I have run many river miles with, and who actually was the very first person to call me after the first episode of this podcast published in 2019, and he told me he really liked it and that it was really good. Darby doesn't call much or always say a lot, and when he does say things, I find it is worth paying attention to the message. So this past spring, when I was talking with Darby, I asked him if he had any good, fun river life story ideas for the podcast. To me, the episodes were thick with water policy and science and history, and that is all good, but I was feeling like something more light and fun was in order. When I asked him, he suggested a few other podcasts that he liked, but no real detail. 28 days later, Darby texted me. Among a few other things, he said, quote, Your listeners have stories about horrible shuttle experiences and shuttle suck. Also, you have listeners with amazing flip mayhem stories, like losing boats, food, whatever. Could be a good way to get fans involved and add some content. End quote. Yeah, that was the vibe I was looking for. Thanks, Darby. This episode is about the shuttle suck. The shitty shuttle stories that many folks have experienced. Shitty shuttles are probably like flips. You've either had a shitty shuttle experience, or you will have a shitty shuttle experience. A couple of months ago, the River Radius put out the request for some shitty shuttle stories from you folks out there in listening land, and we got some feedback. I was able to set up calls and get on the phone and record these stories. I have to express that this has been so much fun to meet listeners, to get to know them a bit, and hear their river life. So much of the podcast episode creation involves editing on my computer, some writing, lots of listening to people saying things over and over as I edit, So getting to hear from listeners of the River Radius has been as good as that feeling of pushing off from the boat ramp. With that, our first story comes from last century and across an international border. 
Our guest here is Mike Davidson. Hello, this is Mike. Mike, good morning. This is Sam Carter with the River Radius Podcast. Yes, sir. How's it going? It's going good. All right. Hey, thanks for doing this. Where where in the world are you calling in from today? I'm uh, in Alpine, Texas right this moment. Your story, your shitty shuttle story, what's the year and kind of the time of year that this happened? It's 1984, and uh, I'm thinking it was, uh, I don't recall the date really well. I think it was April. That makes sense to me. April-ish. April 1984, and what's the river, and what's the country? It's the Rio Usumacinta. We were based in Palenque, Chiapas, Mexico. The river itself, the section that we were headed to for a large part, is the border between Mexico and Guatemala in that in that particular region. And was this, so this was like a company, like you were working, or was this a private trip? Uh, no, I was outfitting a, a, a series of uh, explorations for National Geographic, in fact. So this was far-flung adventures, and I did all the Mexico trips and uh, projects for far-flung adventures. And so, yeah, we were hired by National Geographic to support their work for, I don't know, we were out there for a couple, three months. It sounds awesome. My gosh. <laughs> well, tell, what's the story, man? Tell, tell us the story about the shuttle. Well, we have been um, contracted by these folks to support their trip. And it's a big volume river, and we had a number of different crafts. Two of the boats that we had were really large pontoon rigs. They they were kind of hybrid. We could row them with really big oars. One, one of the boats was like 20 feet long, and the tubes were, gosh, I don't know, 28, 32 inches in diameter. Big, big boat. And we had them with 35-horse motors as well. And, uh, and then we had an Avon boat like a Zodiac. That was the Avon equivalent of a Zodiac. Anyway, that was our setup. We had gone down earlier in the season and actually run a couple of commercial trips. And we were waiting for our team from Geographic come. And there was one fellow that was kind of the lead uh, rider that was kind of pushing this trip. And uh, I'm not going to mention his name, but... uh, he was uh, he was late showing up, and uh, you know we never really knew when this guy was going to show up. He was not in good communication, and that communication was pretty tough in this situation anyway. And so how it came about was we hadn't heard from this guy, and we were supposed to go into the river. And uh, at this point, it was oh gosh, it was a nine or ten hour drive into the river put in. And, you know, things have changed a lot in the 35 or more years or since that time. And, uh, you know, it's a lot more accessible, but it was a pretty wild trip in those days. There was a, a lot of the rainforest was still intact and, you know, it was a pretty exciting thing to go do. Well, this guy shows up and it's already, uh, you know, we're, we're loaded and we're, we're in a, uh, we're in a truck that's mainly used to haul cattle. And we cleaned it out and scraped it out. But it was a, a real large truck. 
I don't know if you would call it a 10 ton truck or something like that, but it was a pretty sizable truck, you know, and we were going out for, gosh, I forget how many days, you know, we were planning to be out for 14 to 21 days. You know, we were going up and down the river. Oftentimes we were stopping at uh, ruin sites and doing a lot of photography in, in Mayan ruins that were pretty remote and isolated. So anyhow, the, the trip the trip organizer, the guy that was ostensibly the boss, came in and we we were preparing to leave the next morning at, you know, the crack of dawn. And he came in and insisted that we leave right now. And this was already middle of the day in the afternoon. So it was obviously we we're going to be driving at night. And this was not a, a not a, a pleasant thing to contemplate, actually. This was re- relatively during the dry season in Chiapas. And so the roads were real dusty. And these roads were really potholed with the traffic they had. You know, they had developed this, these roads into this area to do some oil exploration. And, uh, you know, they were quickly followed by colonists and people that were coming in and either squatting or, you know, starting to kind of cut the rainforest. And, uh, but anyway, we were following these roads. So it was really, really dusty. And we're riding in the back of this truck and the truck has, you know, big railings along the side. And, uh, and so what was happening is we were driving along if you were inside the truck bed, up, sitting up on top of our equipment, the dust would settle and it was really choking and really uncomfortable. And it's already a real hot, humid environment. So what we ended up doing was, you know, we would sit up on the edge of the railing and catch some fresh breeze. So what basically happened is we hit a big bump and one of the gentlemen that was with us part of our crew who had been invited and recruited by our boss who who was not a staffer from national geographic i'd like to point that out he was a contract author he was not like on their board or on their staff so this gentleman was named uh, kent riley and he he was a person that was actually at that point majoring in studying the olmec culture in Mexico, you know, we, we'd worked with a lot of people that were specializing in the Maya, and the Olmec was a kind of a precursor culture that actually developed the first calendar free, uh, prior to the Mayans. But anyhow, this gentleman, Kent Riley, had been a combat medic in Vietnam, and so even though I was an EMT and, you know, pretty prepared for uh, first aid contingencies, not only was this man you know, a uh, a learned scholar, let's put it, but he was also an experienced medic. And so we were driving along and hit a big bump and our friend launched off of the truck, off of the side of the truck. And uh, as he was going down, it was a pretty long way down to the road, he hit at a bad angle and he broke his leg. Hey, real quick, let me ask this question. All right, so the guy who falls out of the truck is the medic scholar or the other, the boss of the trip? No, the boss wasn't going to go in the back of the big truck with us. He was going to come down the next day, but he wanted to like walk up on his little red carpet and jump on the boat and not have to hang around while we're doing our work. So, so the medic scholar falls out of the truck. Yeah, the man, yeah, the guy falls out, a good guy too, and he falls out of the truck. 
And not only did he break his leg, it was an open tib fib. In other words, he broke both bones in his lower leg just above the ankle, and it was open. So which is to say there was a wound, there was a blood, you know, and there was a wound that needed to be protected. So so poor Kent was in severe pain, and uh, we had had one time in our first aid kit had had some pretty serious analgesics. And uh, as it turned out, those had been... Uh, those had been uh, stolen and used by some people that were on the commercial trip previous to our, our uh, you know, working with the National Geographic. And we know who those guys were, too, and, and uh, this created some tension with them later on. And it, it actually worked out kind of to our advantage because we had to splint this guy up with what we had and severely immobilize his leg. And so with him not being, have, you know, having any pain medication at all, uh, the slightest, you know, if we didn't have him packaged up really well, uh, it, it would cause him severe pain. So it made us uh, really work hard to get him down the road. And so basically we, we had, at that point, we had a nine hour evacuation. And we're in this big ass truck and I had had a shuttle driver on a previous trip and uh, on a previous season that lived along the way. So we, we drove in this big old truck to that point and got out and recruited this other, you know, local driver with a smaller, more comfortable truck so that we were able to uh, send the, uh, the rest of the team and the rest of the gear onto the river put in while I returned back to Palenque with our injured, injured party. And, uh, this is a pretty horrific wound. Basically his foot wasn't attached at all to his leg except by skin. So there's no bone structure. And, you know, anytime those bones are grinding around and stuff like that, you potentially get a lot of damage. But basically, we, we got into Palenque and woke up our, uh, you know, I woke up our, quote, the boss guy and the uh, photographer, who was a pretty regular photographer for National Geographic. And I believe one of the Geographic actual staff board members was there at the time. So, you know, by this time, it's it's almost getting daylight. It was taking all night to do this. So we go into this little clinic and the... Uh, and the medic in charge of the clinic takes the bandage off of the the wound, sets it down, face down onto this guy's pants that were covered in dirt. This guy's smoking a cigarette, and he looks down at the wound and shakes his head, and then he takes the bandage with the dirt all in it and sticks it back on top of this guy's wound. And I'm coming unglued. I'm about to come unglued here. I'd already had kind of some severe stress with the, the guy who was the ostensible in charge. We had not been getting along, unfortunately. Heart of darkness kind of shit. And so what he said was, well, Mike, I want you to go on back to the river with your team and lead that up. And he was going to put this guy in the back of a pickup truck with two of his workers who were Mexican nationals and good guys, but they had zero training. So, you know, when you train in first aid and, you know, EMT and that kind of stuff, the whole deal is, is that your job basically is to get them to a facility that has better care than you can provide. But you you don't 
leave this patient until you're, you've handed them off to somebody of equal or greater training. And so the guy tells his guys, well, you take this guy, put him in the truck and go to Viramosa, which is an hour and a half away. And I'm saying no. And the guy says, yes. And then I say no. And you'll have to, uh, you'll have to uh, incapacitate me before I will allow that to go on. And uh, I actually had a business card of an international life flight organization. So I took one of the other people aside, not the boss guy, but the photographer and uh, the staffer and said, look, here's a phone number. Here's a life flight that will come in. This is a serious, serious injury. And if your other guy has his way and takes him away and anything comes wrong with it, you'll find that I will have damning testimony to the National Geographic Society's lawsuit that they will be defending. And they were like, oh, so they called, <laughs> so they called, they called a, the life light and this little jet comes in and, uh, you know, with this real experienced uh, nurse and everything. And so I, I was able to hand off my patient to a, uh, a much better capable authority. And, uh, they flew off with him, and then I had to go work for two more weeks with this, uh, with this National Geographic team. <laughs> so, so, what, so you, your your guy flies off. Does he? Does he? He flies back to the states. Yeah, yeah. They the, a life flight came in from I, I forget where they were based, Houston or somewhere, you know. So they took him back to, you know, for one had a highly trained team on the aircraft. And then took him to a, a place. And basically, he, he ended up having his foot fused. I I don't believe he has any flexibility in his ankle or anything. But uh, the, the gentleman, uh, the injured party, credited me with saving his life. And I said, well, I may have saved your foot. But I don't know. It was a very serious injury. You know, I mean, with the risk of infection and further tissue damage and everything. So... That was the, I don't know if shitty shuttle is actually a, 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 a serious enough term like the shuttle from absolute Hades. Today's episode is sponsored by Jack's Plastic Welding, home of the Paco Pad, builder of catarafts and rafts of any size. All products from Jack's Plastic Welding are made in the United States at their factory in Aztec, New Mexico. I row a Jack's Plastic Cataraft and have seen their factory in action. Recently, I spoke with Marlena at Jack's Plastic to learn more about how they build their boats. My name is Marlena Evans Kinlachini. I'm pretty much all around fabricator. I sew, I glue, you know, I do a lot of the welding. My specialty is boats. I like boats. I put a boat together. There's a person before me cuts all the pieces so it's like a big jigsaw puzzle right and you pretty much just lay all the parts together you weld there's different kinds of welds with all those pieces I would make a whole boat like uh, inflatable you know like a conventional raft or one of these cutthroats you know it's two tubes that fits with the frame to make a full boat you have rollers and the plastic rolling at a certain speed with heat 
and air weld plastic together. RFing a different type of weld instead of hand welding. It's a radio frequency that is automatic. Basically, it cooks it like a microwave and welds it together. So there's logos, D-rings, and handles, right? We have the RF machine where it does a lot of clean welds for us. And yes, they prefer that. So it would come out looking nice. There's at least three guys that make Paco pads you can take to go camping. They make about a thousand pads a month, and that's all they do all month. There's different sizes, truck pads, fools, and guides ranging from one inch to four inch thickness. A shout out from everyone at Jack's Plastic Welding. Ah, it's pretty awesome. I enjoy it here. Jack's Plastic Welding has been building all of their Paco pads, boats, and bags in New Mexico since 1982, employing 17 community members in northwest New Mexico. You can find Jack's Plastic Welding online at www.jpwinc.com. That is www.jpwinc.com. Tell them the River Radius sent you. Next in the shitty shuttle queue is Levi. Levi is a rare breed of river guide, living a lifestyle that sounds so fun. He'll tell you about it. When Levi and I got on the phone to check out his story, we also found out that he grew up in the little Kansas town of Pittsburgh, where my grandma used to live, a town where I sat through a tornado storm one night in the lobby of her apartment building. Good old river connections. Here is Levi to tell us his shitty shuttle story. Hey, what's up, Sam? Levi, good morning. How's it going? Morning, man. Doing well, doing well. Right on. Good to get connected with you. Yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah, well, you know the game. Shitty Shuttles is the story. If you can start off and tell me your name. My name is Levi Weilert. And Levi, where are you calling from today? I'm calling from Fayetteville, West Virginia. And tell us a little bit about yourself, because you have one of these cool year-round guiding things that you do tell us where you work in in the various seasons uh right on yeah um so during the uh summer season i typically work out of moab office uh running some of the rivers out of utah and colorado and then uh in the past i've been able to go down to terlingua texas and uh guide on the rio grande during the winters um i've also gone down to mexico and guided in the past winters and this year uh this fall um I'm guiding in West Virginia here on the Gallian New River. So uh, just, yeah, trying to chase chase the whitewater. Sounds like a pretty good time. Yeah, not bad. <laughs> and so the shuttle story you have, um, what's the year and the, like the year and the kind of season of the story? I want to say it was like 2019 would have been it. Okay. Um, so we had pretty good flows that year. I remember that 2019 was a really good water year. So yeah, it would have been July-ish, I want to say late. July, right around there. Monsoon season was maybe kicking in, uh, just starting to pop off out in the desert. Okay. And what river and state are we talking about? Okay. So we're talking about the Green River. Uh, I'm talking about in Utah, uh, the Desolation Canyon section, and more specifically, the, the put in there at Sandwash. And is this a private shuttle, paid shuttle you work in? This is for a commercial trip. Yeah, we were going down, uh, doing a day zero, uh, getting the boats in the water, rigging up before the guests flew in 
the next day. So we had the, the boat ramp to ourselves. And so when they fly in, like you mean they come in on some Cessnas and they get shuttled? Yeah, down. yeah, definitely. So uh, if you've ever been down to that Sandwash boat ramp, it sits down below this like plateau where most like the oil machinery and I think they do, uh, there's a bunch of mechanical stuff up there. But yeah, they bring in the airplanes, of Cessnas and land them up on that strip and then it's just, you know, gravel. There's no tarmac or anything like that. And they just bring them up over the ledge. And uh, I've never gotten to make that flight, which I'm super jealous, but I hear it's absolutely incredible. Tell me the story of the shuttle and, uh, you know, and I'll ask you some questions because I have my notes here from the first time you told me. Cool, man. We were going down to put in for, like I said, at San Wash for Desolation Canyon on the Green River. And it was around the 150 year anniversary for um, John Wesley Powell running that section, the Green. And I was pretty stoked to be down there with all that history and stuff. It's me and two other guides and our driver, a shuttle driver. Uh, his name is Baja. And so we get down there super humid just like crazy hot like says right around july mid-july maybe even early august uh so the monsoon seasons have been coming through and giving us some water and uh so we get down there and we got to put the boats in the water for that day zero get things raked up we hop out of the car and mosquitoes are just apocalyptic just insane you know so we, we jump back in the truck and we're like okay we have to devise some sort of plan to like you know not die um so we like get all our dry gear on even though it's like 80 plus degrees outside and we get like our you know we've got gloves and stuff like we're fully suited up bug nets over the head hoods up like rain and, you mean uh, like raincoats and all rain that gear yeah, yeah yeah like dry gear yeah. yeah um and so uh baja's got like this he pulls out like a couple of like bottles of this spray, like DEET, but it's like 99.9% DEET or something. He's like, this stuff is, shouldn't even be legal. You know, like it's awful for you. And, uh, so we just like hop out and we just like cover ourselves with it. Just totally cover ourselves in clouds of the stuff. And, uh, so we go get working and we're just sweating so bad. I remember just like pouring into our eyes and we just kept looking up at each other and we'd be on opposite sides of like the boat or something. And you can't even see the other guy, right? They're totally just covered in a cloud of mosquitoes. And so you're like swatting them away. It, it, was, it was pretty insane. So yeah, we get everything rigged up. Storm starts moving in. It starts raining on us right as we're getting things finalized on the boat ramp. And we jump in the truck and we start going up and, you know, you go up that sand uh, wash, that boat ramp there. It's not actually a road, really. You're actually drive, driving through a wash, that sand wash. And so, yeah, we start driving up that thing and it's, you know, we're just kind of creeping along and it's a little bit of a creek and some water moving through. And then pretty quickly, it just becomes sort of a river, like the whole wash is like flushing with water. We're like, oh, crap, you know, dude, you better get on it. Like, so Baja, and, like, he loves this kind of stuff, lives for it, runs off-road Jeeps and stuff. He was, like, our mechanic as well as a driver and stuff. He did all the mechanical work uh, on the boats the company worked at. So, you know, he just is grinning and just floors it. And so now we're, like, you know, water's almost, like, coming up to the door in some spots. Like, it's getting pretty deep. It's flashing pretty quickly. And he's just, like, going 40, 50 miles an hour, and we're just flying all over inside the truck. Most insane ride of my life. It was super, it was crazy. It was awesome. Water spraying everywhere. And then finally, there's like a little bit of a ramp that kind of takes you up out of the wash. And he just like books it towards that. And he's like, hang on, like cuts across again and gets up on this ramp. And we're like out of it. And we just watch this thing like build and build and build and flush through. 
and yeah, that was kind of it. And it was pretty crazy. Like I said, uh, never seen something flash that fast in the desert, I guess, such a large wash. But then, you know, at the end, we ended up driving up to the top of that plateau to spend the night to wait for the guests to fly in that morning. And the idea was like, hopefully the mosquitoes won't be as bad. Yeah. And they were, it was not, there's no reprieve. They were pretty bad up on top as I recall as well. What were you driving? Like, what was Baja driving? Is this a, like a commercial van or a truck? Yeah, no, no, no. So this is like um four door pickup. I forget what kind, like maybe, I don't want to say a brand because if Baja hears this, he's like, that said I drive a Dodge, you know, <laughs> it's like, you know, and it's like, turns out it was a Ford, you know, I don't want to like, I don't want to make that call, but it was like, you know, it was some sort of like large yeah pickup yeah okay so a truck but not not a van and, and you were not pulling, a van you were pulling a trailer yeah we were pulling oh a trailer gosh. we had two yeah so like he's made for this he's the guy if you got to drive up oh yeah 100 percent. like you know not i mean it was a scary situation but it's like oh yeah like this, this guy's totally got it you know whether he doesn't or not you go down the next day and you have like the customers arrive on the planes, you drive them down and there's still mosquitoes. Yeah. What did you just do? Just rally on the boats as fast as you could and get on the water and start moving. Yeah. So we, we actually hiked them down. There's like a trail there mm -hmm. and we hiked them down that and we get to the boats, you know, yeah, mosquitoes are bad. The guests are like, what the hell? And we're like, yeah, I know. Don't worry. You know, and you normally motor that first like 20 miles to Jack's Creek anyways and get, get out of there. Yeah, the motor wouldn't turn over. I remember <laughs> my buddy's in there. He's just pulling and pulling. It won't turn over. I think I like looked over and I said something to him. And I can't remember if it was like something supportive or joking. But he just like looks at me. He's like, dude, go f yourself. Like right in front of the guest, you know, <laughs> like just screams it. Like and the guests are sitting right there in the boat. And I'm like, all right, this guy's not stoked at all um sweet trip. but it was a, it, yeah no it was and that's the thing it ended up being a really good trip right yeah. like it wasn't a bad trip we did get the motor turned over like we got out of there and it ended up being a pretty good trip the only thing i didn't mention in the story that i mentioned the other one and i don't and again i try to find it i don't know where the literature came from but i swear i looked up john wesley powell's like not like his journal writings or entries or something and there's at one point on the Green River where he had mentioned, like, never have I ever been, like, so molested by mosquitoes. Like, he used that <laughs> phrase. And that always stuck out to me before we went down there for the 150th. I was like, oh, yeah, like, maybe we should be ready for something, you know. The third shitty shuttle story comes from Tim, who is a friend and lives close enough that we were able to meet in person for the telling of his story. When I met Tim, we literally stood in a river, the Mancus River. In this time of year, it was very shallow and a sweet little ribbon of water running through an urban park. We even had the occasional town folk walking past us on the river trail with wondering eyes. We start off with Tim telling us that his name is... Tim Hunter. And Tim... Uh, where where are you located at? I'm in Mancus, Colorado, down here by the babbling Mancus River. In the park, we've got neighbors coming through. Yeah. Yep. We've got horses in the background every once in a while. <laughs> Pretty cool. Yeah. Hi. There's actually, there's actually water flowing in the mighty Mancus at a whole three and a half CFS. Big picture, what's the, what, what's the river and what's the year of this story? 1998 in the Grand Canyon. And this is a private trip, commercial trip? This was a private trip. 
and we were running four boats. We had uh, 10 people and we'd shuttled everything. I had this van, this 14 passenger Ford van that could tow anything. And we loaded up with four boats and all of our gear, the roof rack loaded to the gills and went down to the canyon. And so you had the van. The van and a trailer. And a trailer, flatbed yeah. or in quotes? Flatbed. And, and everybody and everything is everybody in one vehicle. Everybody and everything for four boats and all of our gear. <laughs> and so it was the end of September. We were still in the 16, 16 day realm, you know, but that's a lot of gear. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of stuff. And so you get to the, you, you, you get to the takeout and that's when the story happens the with the shuttle. Yeah. You know, we, we're taking out of Diamond Creek, but we get down to Diamond Creek and there's no van. We wait around and wait around and it's well past the time when the Hualapai bring their shuttle vehicles down. What, what time did you get to the ramp? We got to the ramp probably about uh, 10, 10.30 in the morning. And how long did you wait? And I waited because there was a, there was a commercial group that we'd been leapfrogging with. And we had actually lent them a propane bottle like two days earlier because they were running out of propane. <laughs> and they were questioning our, their TP level at that point in time and questioning us as to whether we had extra too. Anyway, we were wanting to wait for them. So we waited for them. They got in about 11.30. Everybody's unloading gear and I'm waiting around and waiting around and about 12.30, they're about loaded up. And it's like, hey, you guys, my shuttle hasn't come in here. Can I, you know, I got my propane tank back. Can I get a ride up with you? He says, well, you know, the van with our, with our passengers, it's, it's full. And, but you, you know, catch a ride with the guys that are bringing up the, the gear stuff. Evidently that word never got back to the guys with the gear stuff. I'm standing by the road with my bag in hand, looking at them, arms akindo, you know, going, come on guys, give me a ride. <laughs> Dust cloud. It's 18 miles up to the lodge at Peach Springs from Diamond Creek takeout. And not just 18 miles in length, but uh, 1,000, 2,000 foot climb? It's a, yeah, 2,500 foot of elevation change. And it's a, depending on the flash floods, a potential four-wheel drive road and desert and this is like now middle of September and it's you know 95 98 degrees so anyway we start up the road so the trip leader who this was her this was her divorce trip halfway through she ended up riding on my boat for most of the rest of the trip because she and her husband just had decided they needed to separate right in the middle of a river trip but she was the trip leader, and so she went up with me, and uh, we went up to try and find out what's going on. And, you know, this is already 2 o'clock in the afternoon. We're humping it up the road. Not much traffic, because the road's not in great shape. A couple of cars had gone past us going down to the river, and we thought, you know, maybe we'll be able to hitchhike a ride up. Well, about five miles in, this Chinese guy pulls over for us in some little rental car. I mean, an economy rental car. And, you, and when you say Chinese guy, you mean like the I guy mean, is like on, from China. He's on vacation. Yeah. 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 Okay. This guy spoke about 10 words of English, and, but he stopped, you know, to give us a ride up because he could come down the road and he knew where we, you know, yeah. what we had in front of us. And it was really cool of him. And we tried to communicate. We get up about 4.30, close to five o'clock, right when the lodge is closing up at Peach Springs and was able to grab the manager, find where my vehicle was. But there was a bill for the vehicle because something I, and I, I back in my mind is like the starter went out on it when they were shuttling it. And they, and I, you know, on my form said, yeah, fix 
minor stuff like that and I'll pay you. So not only was the van still there, but I had to pay a bill to get it out. Get it out, it's like, ah, oh, you know, big relief. How big was the bill? The bill, the bill was about 85 bucks. Oh, okay, okay. You know, it wasn't huge. Yeah. Me. I thought you had a huge mechanical bill. Okay, 85 <laughs> bucks to get it out. Of yeah, the but anyway, I had to get out of Hawk as well. Not yeah. just not just that they had parked it there and were had abandoned us. Big relief though, you know. I had there was enough fuel to get down and back without having to, to you know, try and find, you know, go out to Kingman or something, which was another 50 miles to get fuel. Get down and it's about, you know, it's still summertime, so we're loading up. It's it's like 6:37. We're loading up and we're going to head out and, you know, go get a late dinner someplace in civilization. Four miles up, the tranny goes out in the van. Tranny. The transmission. transmission. Okay. We're uh, yep. Yep. gunning it and it, I can get a little bit of low end, you know, but it, you know, found a pullout spot just big enough to pull out with the van and the trailer along this nearly four wheel drive road in the middle of the desert, 12 miles from Peach Springs, eight miles from the river or so. <laughs> and we decided, you know, we make camp. We've been camping for the last 16 days. You know, what's the difference? We make camp, We're everybody's good. Nobody had to get out that day. You know, it's all fine. Anyway, next morning, a couple of the other guys caught a ride. One of the shuttle drivers was dropping off vehicles and picked them up and took them up to Peach Springs and then they caught another ride back. So it was only about 11 o'clock the next morning. They got back with a case of transmission fluid, which was our Hail Mary, you know, and it actually, it got us up and out and got us to Kingman. We got it checked out, but it still took us because it would still keep going out on me and we'd have to pour in, you know, another couple quarts of transmission fluid, but it took us a day and a half to get back to Mancus. And how long would it have normally taken? Oh, about 10 hours. Yeah. You're pouring, so the mechanical side, you're pouring transmission fluid in. Is it leaking out is why you need it? Or is it Seals were going it? and it yeah. was, yeah, it was, Everything. yeah, it just needed to rebuild. But yeah, I, some of the bands were gone at the upper gears were, were gone. I mean, I was going, I was in basically second and third gear and then finally second gear to at 30 miles an hour coming into Mancus. And I was hoping we didn't have to go in reverse because I had a big trailer there. <laughs> no reverse. <laughs> Strategic parking. Yeah. You know, out around four corners, it was like three in the morning. I finally just said we had to just finally pulled over and everybody, you know, half the people were sleeping anyway, but I was burned. Nobody else wanted to drive the van and take responsibility. <laughs> so I took a little, little late night nap there by four corners and, you know, and then got home about... 10 10 30 or something you know four quarters is only an hour's drive from yeah. here but not that day but not that day <laughs> so that's the shuttle story from hell that's your shitty shuttle story our last shuttle story comes from cody well this last shuttle story is not about broken bones or floodwaters or broken vans it reminds me of the fun of running rivers with your friends and only thinking about running rivers all day. I was able to catch Cody in between a busy family celebration. Hello. Cody? Can you hear me? I 
sort of. Can you hear me now? I can hear you great. Wonderful. Wonderful. Can you hear, can you hear me okay? I can hear you great. Um, I don't really have much time, I hate to say. My sister's getting married on Saturday, so we're all starting the festivities okay, today. Let's do it. Let's do it. Sweet. Yeah, so uh, let's start off. Can you tell me your name? And when you tell me your name, would you say my name is? Sure. Yeah. Right now? <laughs> right right now. <laughs> all right. You got it. Uh, my name is Cody Anderson. And Cody, where are you calling from today? Today I'm calling from near Easton, Maryland on the Chesapeake Bay. And I think it's valuable to bring this in. You have a cool job with Rivers. Uh, just quickly, briefly tell, tell us where you work and what you do. So I am a river ranger on the John Day and Deschutes Rivers um, for the Bureau of Land Management in central and eastern Oregon. Um, and that job is seasonal, so that's just from April to September, pretty much. You like that job? I like it very much. Yeah. I like it very much. It's I kind of wake up every day, and I think I said at least a hundred times to my coworker this summer, "Is this real that we get to do this?" That's very good. Awesome. Okay, so the, you got a shitty shuttle story. What is the year? Actually, I think you have a couple things. Yeah, you have a few. Let's do the Featherfest first. Oh yes. Okay, sure. And if you can just tell me so tell me the year, like the year the year and the time of year of this story and what river we're talking about. Sure. Yeah. So I think this was either twenty seventeen or twenty eighteen. I can't remember which, but this was on the Feather River near I think it's near Quincy, California. And it was Feather Fest. So it was in late September. Um and it was kind of on the border of being shitty and being awesome um it was kind of a little bit of both but we ended up fitting eight boats and eight people into a i can't remember the actual car but it was similar to like a pontiac vibe you know what those look like yeah <laughs> and granted it's not a long shuttle but it it was a sight to behold for sure and and when you say in, you don't really mean you put the boats in. You put them on the car, probably? Yeah, we had a little pyramid setup going on on top, uh -huh. and then people just crammed in on the inside. Uh, how, how long was that shuttle? Oh, it couldn't have been more than 15 minutes. Where did people sit? Eight people? Trunk? Anybody in the trunk? Yes. <laughs> Three people in the trunk. <laughs> uh, four people across the back seat, which is made for two. And one person in the front. Just one in the front? Yep. So like a chauffeur. Oh, plus the driver. So it was actually nine people. <laughs> Got it. And were you guys all were you all wearing your PFDs for the whole drive? We were sopping wet wearing all of our gear. Yeah. Helmet. <laughs> oh, this is the end of the trip. Okay. Even better. Oh, this was that river is like very lappable. So this was just one of many laps of the day. You did this many times, this this eight, eight, nine people in the car. I don't think we did that many times. It was more of a um, necessity type deal uh, where we were all at the takeout, and I had a crew of probably four or five, and um, there was another crew of about three, and that dude with the Pontiac was just hanging out there. And we were like, hey, <laughs> can, we, can we get a shuttle? Um, and I, 
he was obviously with voters. He wasn't just random, random there. But uh, and then it just kept on like, hey, can we come with you? Hey, can we come with you? And the driver kept on being like, yeah, we let's make it work. Let's make it work. What did it smell like in that car? Um, I think I I don't remember it. So that either means it was really bad or inconsequential. Uh-huh. You know, I either I either blacked it out or it wasn't worth noting. Yeah. Okay. I guess I'm I'm imagining that like the overwhelming smell that River Gear has when it's wet and in a car. But you might have just been like in love with that smell. Yeah. Um. And was this all dirt or was there any pavement involved? It luckily the roads out there were pretty good. It was all pavement. Okay, it was pavement. So you're like, <laughs> yep, yep, real driving, real driving. Uh huh. Okay, and then uh, and then you have another story about um, a person, Earl. I I remember. Well, kind of, yeah, Earl, kind of, Earl. Uh, so the. That story is about uh, a fella on the French Broad, and this was in, I want to say, June of 2016. 2016. Where's where's the French Um, Broad? The French Broad is right outside of Asheville, North Carolina, near a little town called Marshall. Okay. Um, And... Wild Bill is kind of a character. He's kind of a local legend. Uh, he drives an old beat-up Cherokee um, that has, like, I think it's got, like, one camo door on it. And, um, which, who knows what the story is there. But it fits the whole, it fits everything about Wild Bill, for sure. And um, so Wild Bill um, was a shuttle driver, a local shuttle driver. And I was working at a summer camp that, summer in the Asheville area and we were kind of reliant on wild bill for our programs (laughs) and um so i ended up getting a lot of rides from wild bill that summer and towards the end of the summer um he was telling me about this little uh solstice party that um they were having to celebrate earl and I asked Wild Bill about who Earl was. Um, and he turns to me like I'm an idiot. And he goes, you don't know who Earl is? Um, in this wonderful Western North Carolina accent that I'm not even going to try and um, <laughs> reenact. But he uh, he told me about Earl. And he said that Earl is the river god of the French broad. And um, I, I asked how Earl got his name. And he goes, well, it's actually an acronym. Uh, it stands for Earth, Air, River, and Love. Um, and I just love that. Uh, you got to spread Earl all around. I definitely have told many people about Earl. Oh, and then the next the follow-up on that was I asked Wild Bill, because he's 80. He's 80 at the time, 80 years old. And I asked him how he stays so youthful. And he turns to me and very seriously goes, well, Cody, Good whiskey, cheap weed, and younger women. And Excellent. this was immediately after a, a very wholesome moment about Earl. And and to be clear, because because we just got to be clear, younger women means younger than him, not like too young. Right. Yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, the man's eighty years old, yep. so younger women should be uh, someone in their seventies. <laughs> right. Right. Just good clarity. <laughs> All right, man. I know you got to roll, Cody. 
thank you for taking the time to do this. Sam, thank you so much for your time, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. A River Story Size thank you goes out to all of our guests today, Mike and Levi and Tim and Cody, and also to Darby for planting the seed. You too can offer up great stories or clever episode topics. Reach us anytime. Hello at theriverradius.com. Maybe you have noticed some additions and variations in the show music. Our original music was written and performed by my friend Ben Fisher and Diabolical Sound Platoon. We are still using that music. My friend Gene Reiniger has been making music tracks on his lap steel for the podcast. As he says it, water music. I agree. We will continue to experiment. And you are welcome to share your thoughts on this new music. Thanks to friends. Thanks so much for joining the River Radius. Kind of on the border of being shitty and being awesome. They got back with a case of transmission fluid, which was our Hail Mary. And we're in this big ass truck. Water's almost like coming up to the door in some spots. Like it's getting pretty deep. I had this 14 passenger van that could tow anything. Three people in the trunk. And you can't even see the other guy, right? They're totally just covered in a cloud of mosquitoes. Basically, his foot wasn't attached at all to his leg except by skin. Dude, I, I appreciate your podcast because it's it's a little bit like um, This American Life. It's a little bit like This American Life, but river-related. So... Uh, is the name of your podcast Shitty Shuttles? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's hilarious. <laughs> I, I didn't think so. <laughs> so you got a River Life, River Life podcast. Huh? Yeah, man. The name, I'm sorry, that's cracking me up. Oh shit. the The name of the podcast is the River Radius Podcast. <laughs>